Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Father God, here we are. Gathered on this cold day, gathered in this building people from different lives people from different situations coming together to say you are our God and you are King here we are today church this morning Lord we ask that as we turn to your scripture and and think about it and think about what it means to be part of your family the church the bride that you died for the bride who you think about our part. May we hear and be reminded, encouraged, and and prompted by you, Spirit, to react how we need to. Father, this morning we we gather and we we listen to you, and and Lord, I ask that I can hear uh, and, and speak for you and that you come through, that it's you who's glorified. Father, be with us now as we open your word. In your name. Amen. Uh, open up your Bibles to Ephesians this morning. Uh, we're going to be going to the book of Ephesians uh, and looking at a few passages there for this morning's service. So if you're looking at the Pew Bibles, you might want to turn to page 836, 836 to the book of Ephesians. Two weeks ago, we started looking at a series that I am kind of calling a a, a member of the family, a member of the family. And it's kind of this short series where we're looking at kind of what does it mean to be part of the church? What does it mean to be the body, the family of Christ, particularly a local church like us? And this morning, I want to have this second message in that, and I'm calling it Committed to the Family. Committed to the Family. This week, I, I, was, I enjoyed kind of a, a, a maybe uneventful weekend. I was able to enjoy uh, a relaxing Saturday morning yesterday where there wasn't a men's conference going on, and I was able to sit at home with my coffee and read a little bit and enjoy the day. But next week, again, next weekend, there's something else going on, and it's not for you guys. It's more for uh, Susanna and I. Her family on President's Day weekend every year for way longer than I've been around has had this gathering where they get together, uh, a family gathering in in northern Minnesota, which is actually like middle Minnesota because it's up in Wilmer. It's not really north. Um, And they're going to gather there in a a kind of a cabin and celebrate and just kind of get together and be a family together. And it's interesting being one that's now part of the family to kind of make some observations of a family weekend where there is a lot of people. I didn't come from big family gatherings. I don't know if you do, but when they all get together, it gets loud. It gets crazy. It, it, it takes organization to make sure meals get done and those kind of things. That's how family gatherings are for them. We'll go up there. Uh, maybe I'll go up there after the service on Sunday, maybe on Saturday. Who knows? We'll kind of commute back and forth. But 
But this weekend with this family is something that as an outsider coming in, uh, I've made some observations that at one time, when I first started going to this family weekend, it was just when Susanna and I were dating. And that was really interesting because I was an outsider. In fact, we even made t-shirts one year. We made t-shirts one year where Susanna's, or my shirt says, I'm the new guy. And Susanna's shirt says, the new guy's with me, so they can know who I was. But at that time, this is, Susanna's bringing this new person in, and, and I know that there's this kind of like, I don't know these people, what's the relationship supposed to be like? And, and for, for them, do we like him? Do we want him in the family? Do we want to kick him out? They're skeptical. Uh, I, it was an awkward time. But now after I committed through marriage, it's interesting, all of a sudden by that one decision, I'm now included in things. I'm, I'm part of the family. And there's some that I get along with better than others. But that's my family. That's part of who I am now. And so we gather together, we talk, we share, we encourage each other, we play games, we have meals, all these kind of things at this weekend. And I benefit from it. But at the same time, when I go to that weekend, I also have to, I have a job to play. I have a job to do there. And it's interesting because I think when I got married into this family, everyone else lost their ability to make coffee because now I'm the one that has to go and make the coffee. I don't know what happened. Sunday morning next week, they're going to have trouble with that. But where am I going with this? The idea here that I want to communicate is when we're part of a family and we move from being on the outside to the inside, something happens where we, we gain benefits, but we also have responsibilities and we can add to that family. And, and it, there's, a, there's a sense of belonging. There's all sorts of things when you make that transition, when you commit to the family. We're talking about membership this morning. I, I think that word, when it comes up, membership in the church, oftentimes our mind goes to membership in the terms of, well, what am I a member of? And you start thinking, well, in my wallet, I have a Sam's Club card. I have a membership for there, or I might be part of a civic organization, or uh, some people in a city might be part of a country club where they're a member. And and there's a sense where I I pay a fee, I get something out of it, and, and I get benefits in return. That as long as I'm paying my dues, I'm getting something out of this. But I think that idea of an organization, a club, that idea of membership where I pay in and I get back is kind of the wrong one. I think what we want to start seeing membership as is the same way we say, I'm a family member. And whether we're married in or we're adopted in or born into a family, we want to see membership in the terms of family. Two weeks ago, we looked at membership and just kind of asked the question, is it even biblical? You know, we kind of looked at uh, some passages to kind of say, is this idea of being part of the church and saying, yes, I want to be a part of the church, is that biblical? And I, I think it is. We kind of looked at 1 Corinthians and looked at some of Paul's language there to say that, that he has this body language that says you need to be part of a body. You need a, a, a family around you to, to encourage each other and walk with each other. And then he also has some insider-outsider language that says, put this guy out of the church, which assumes that he was had at some point been made inside the church. If you missed that one, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that and kind of think about those things a little bit. Last week, I also posted a quote, and I think it's helpful here. We came down with this quote from Jonathan Lehman in the book Church Membership, which may come up on the screen there, which says, Church membership is a formal relationship 
between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of the church Christian's discipleship and the church Christian submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. It's this partnership between the church and, and, the, and the person who said yes to Jesus and saying, we want to partner together to grow the church, to grow the, as a disciple, to walk in a community together as a family. And just like last week, I'll say for some of you guys, you are visitors. So if you're here and you're a visitor, I would say, uh, know that I, I, I'm not encouraging just membership at our, our place or wherever, but to be part of a church and to be invested in that church. And I also want to just give, again, the same warning or the same, I don't know what to call it, uh, comment that says, I know for some of us that are here, uh, we've been hurt by churches. We've been hurt by our family, church family before. Um, and I would ask that as we say, hear that, that we don't hold that to the fact that what God says and what God is directing us towards in his word, that we still have to honor that even when our emotion and our feeling is against that. Uh, if that's you, um, I want to affirm the hurt, but I also want to say let's also look to God and see what his word says. So if we looked at what ch- membership was, these next couple weeks, I want to kind of ask the question, what should a church member do? What does it look like to be a healthy church member? And this morning, again, the thing is committed to the family. We want to be committed to the family. And so we want to turn to Ephesians and look at that book. Now, before I I read some things from Ephesians, and we're going to look at chapter 2 to start with in a moment, uh, it's helpful for us to take a big picture. Ephesians is is a letter from Paul, and he's talking to a church in Ephesus. And and really what it comes down to, Ephesians, well, there's a lot of familiar passages about about how to interact in your marriage, how children obeying your parents, and, and... and submission in, in kind of a, a, in work roles. Really what I think the big idea, and, and I saw this in some commentaries, is that the big idea of Ephesians is really about the church, living together as the church. One study note set said, the central message of Ephesians, the book we're about to read some from, is the recreation of the human family according to God's original intention. The goal of the book is to recreate the family that has been broken apart by sin, uniting it as God's family the way he intends it. They go on to say, in summary, we can say that the overall emphasis of Ephesians is on the unity of the church in Christ through the power of the Spirit. The unity of the church in Christ through the power of the Spirit. And the way Paul does this is in the first half, he gives all these statements of truth claims, what we would call indicatives in, in, the, in the, the nerdy language of, of seminary, the indicatives of saying these things are true, or these things have been true, or these things will be true. And then in the back half, he says, four through six, he starts to encourage these groups to live out as such. So he's talking about the church. So everything in this book should encourage us and think, what does this have to do with the body of Christ? What does this have to do with the family? The word church comes up nine times, and and in it, the Greek word behind it is ekklesia, which ultimately means gathering or assembly, people coming together. 
And that's helpful for us because sometimes we can think of church as being the universal church that will be gathered together in heaven together or for all times together. And, and that it's, it's the people in all the corners of the world right now that are worshiping as well as all the people over time. Which is a really cool thing to think that in part of that body, we're actually members of the same church as the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Or, or, or the, the Apostle Peter who, 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 who turned away from Jesus, but then Jesus redeemed him and said, You're gonna, I'm going to build my church on you. We're part of that. But at the same time, when we just think in terms of the big church, universal church, historical church, we miss out on the fact that it's still, the word still means gathering, assembly, people with shared beliefs, a community, a congregation. So with that, let me move towards our text and also move towards the first point that I want us to see. The th- first thing I want us to see this morning is a good member has moved from death to life. A good member has moved from death to life. Look at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. Paul there says this. And you, church, people of this body, were dead in the trespasses and sin in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this word, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of great the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show in the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not the result of works, so that anyone may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Paul, in this letter, talking about the church and talking to these people about, hey, you're part of the church now, you're included in this church, he goes all the way back to before they were Christians. It goes back to this portion where he starts off in chapter 2 saying, You were dead. And yet you're walking. It's kind of almost, Paul kind of has this almost pseudo-zombie-like thing going on where he talks about, You were dead, but you're walking around. You're walking around physically, and, and for many of us, we, we walk around and we breathe air and we, we, we go about our days. But as we see our neighbors and so many around us, is spiritually what the Bible says is that they are spiritually dead. And he says that the church body, these people that are part of this church, that was them at one time. They were dead. They were rebellious against God in their sins. Their judgment was not good. And so they are not part of the church at that time. But God has made them alive. 
What's interesting about that idea is if people are spiritually dead and, and the church is God's spiritual family, if what we need to be reminded of is a dead person cannot be part of the family. Right? We can't have relatives that are no longer breathing coming to a family reunion and saying, hey, can you participate in this? Or can you do this? Or can you help us out? No. They're not alive. They have nothing to contribute. So we need to consider that to be part of a family, the first step before anything else in being part of a church is we need to sit there and say, am I alive or am I dead? Have I actually said yes to Jesus? And have I been awakened to this gracious gift that comes by faith in what Jesus did? To be part of the church family, we need to be reborn. What Paul says is by the mercy, the love, the action of God through Christ. This is believing not just in the fact that Jesus, hey, he rose from the dead. That's a good historical fact from way back in the day. No, what he actually says here, if we look in verse 5, verse 5 he says, even when you were dead in your trespasses, uh, when you were dead in trespasses, made alive, you were made alive together with Christ. It's the idea, not just that Jesus went and died and he conquered the grave. No, it's that I died with him and he brought me out of the grave with him together that he brought life to me. That our attachment in life is only in the fact that Jesus actually came back. Our ability to rise is based off of his doing, not our own. By grace through faith in him, not our works. So for us this morning, we, we have to acknowledge first that in, in this room or, or in, in our world that there's two types of people. There are dead people spiritually and there are alive people spiritually. And then when in a conversation about membership, we need to say that a dead person cannot be part of the church. He cannot be a member of the church. They just, it just can't. It doesn't make sense. Someone who's spiritually not born yet, they might come and, 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 and bring a meal to the potluck or they might put some money in the offering plate, but they're not part of the church because they're not alive in Christ yet. For some of us, that's where we need to stop right here if that's you and you're sitting there saying, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've been reborn. I don't know if I'm alive. And, and at that point, you need to stop and just, the rest of the sermon, just read on verses 1 through 10 and spend time with it and say, is this me? What do I need to hear? What do I need to find out? Because right now, I'm not spiritually alive. We want you to be so you can be part of the church. And that's trusting in Jesus' work. Many of us here, however, are spiritually alive. We have trusted Jesus. We are, are, are alive in Him, and we've been made part of His universal family. His, we've been adopted as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters of Christ. But as we saw a couple weeks ago, and what I would affirm from other places in Scripture, we need a body. We need other people. We can't do this walk alone. And so in a way, when, we, when someone trusts Christ and confesses Christ, but they don't have a church, they're kind of like a, a, a Christian orphan where they, they, they're, they're, they're alive again, but they aren't without a family. They're, they're kind of out there on their own, and they're not part of a body that's taking care of them and that's walking with them in their discipleship. So the idea is that we want to become part of 
a local family, a local church. Not just part of God's universal family, but part of people that we are doing life with. Which moves us into our next verses, verses 11 through 22. And my point here is that members, members have moved from being acquainted with the church to committed to the church. Members are, have moved from being acquainted with church things to being saying, I'm committed to it. Look at verses 11 through 12. He's just talked about you've been made alive, and now he goes into 11. He says, therefore, therefore remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumc- the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the flesh in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law and the commandments, expressing in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. He might reconcile us to God in the body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace for you who are far off, and peace so that you were made near. For through him we both have access to in one spirit to the Father. And this is the part that I want to hone in on, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. And we'll stop there before we read the next verse. What's Paul saying in these verses? There's a lot going on here, and there's a, it's a rich theological passage. But he says, in, in part, that because of what God has done in bringing you and bringing, making you alive, you have now been joined to something. The verses that I just read, he's talking about being joined into this bigger family of God, being brought into this, this God family. And, and by our, our faith in Christ, we've been brought in, and we've been, been gathered into this body of believers. And the language he starts using is this far-off versus near language. And it's not necessarily distance geographically. He's talking about relationship, that you were distant, you were aliens, you were strangers, you were far off, and now in Christ you've been made near. Closeness. Sounds kind of familial in the fact that you are made into relationship. And not just that, you're being related to people who are unlike you. He's talking here about Gentiles being renewed and made with Jews, and and that they're being bound together, and they're being brought together in the body of Christ. So far, he's talking about this big picture, this this big picture church of what's going on, that, that they've brought themselves into by trusting in Jesus, by making that trust in Christ. And then he goes on to 22. I didn't catch this at first, but I think it's important to pause and look at what Paul's doing here. He says in verse 22, In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You 
also are being built together. What is he saying there? He's moved from the big picture of the universal church of what God is doing, and now he's saying, you also, and he zooms in at, at Ephesus, and he's looking at that church and saying, you also are being brought together. He's, he's going from big picture to small, and he's saying, you also are a church gathered. You're being built together. And, and I think that what I want us to see in this is that that place to be included in that required some kind of commitment. It, it said, I want to be part of that church so that I can spirit experience what God is doing. In Paul's day, commitment to a church was rather obvious. In that day, there was a cost, and it was pretty high. If you went out and you were baptized, if you started confessing Jesus as Lord and, and not saying, no, Caesar is not Lord, what's happening is you're committing to a church because in Ephesus, what that meant was you were leaving family, friends, job opportunities behind. And so to commit that way, you're saying, I'm leaving this, and I'm going to be with the family community that I need in my life because I don't got anything else. This is all I got. And so we see that when someone was, would trust Christ, that, that's what we see in the book of Acts when they start to gather together and they share because that's their family. They're, they're gathering and devoting themselves to the teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to breaking bread together. You see this family picture in Acts 2 that I often read on our Sundays where we gather for a meal together. They didn't have anyone else. And at that point, the church was still concerned about outsiders. Even when Paul is converted, they're a little bit skeptical of him at first because they're not saying, are you legit? Are you for sure? So commitment was based then off of you're taking drastic things in your life and your walk of discipleship to say, I want to be part of God's family through baptism, through other actions that would have said, I am real. But commitment probably looks a little bit different for us now, doesn't it? In Ephesus, there was probably one church. Here in Mountain Lake, we have eight. In Ephesus, they didn't have... Uh, preachers online that you could devote yourself to the teaching. You had to go to church to do that. You didn't have sermon podcasts. You didn't have worship music on the radio so that you could worship uh, in your car on the way to wherever you're going. They didn't have those things. So being part of the family is where they had to go. Being part of the church is where they had to go. But for so many of us, we, we miss the fact that we need the body and we want to be part of a church, and, and that takes commitment because we say we can back off and be far away from the, the church family and say, say, I'm still getting what I need. I'm still getting what God growing in my faith. Or I'm familiar, I might come every now and then to church, but, but really committing to saying, I want to be part of that church family, where we kind of hold it at arm's length. And I like to, at this time, kind of bring in the metaphor of, I think there's a lot of people in our day that, if you want to talk about being acquainted with versus being uh, committed to, in our day, I, I relate this to marriage. Uh, there's a lot of us that in our, our day, we know people that, that say, I like dating someone. I like all the benefits of dating that person, but I'm not willing to commit. 
I, I'm going to hang out with that person. I might, I might even kind of look like we're married, but I'm not actually going to commit and be married to it. I'm going to stay on the edge and not move to commitment where I'm an insider. And I think in the same way, many of us can kind of stand at a distance and say, I like dating the church. I like being here. I like to come to the potluck and experience the meal so I don't have to bake something. But I don't want to commit. And probably much more than just coming or being part of a fellowship meal, more importantly, it says, I like taking in teaching, but I don't want to share. I, I don't want to make myself known. And there's potential reasons for this, I think. Here are four of them. One might be that there's just so many things going on. There's so many things in the world that might take up my weekend. I had a really late night Saturday night, so church is going to miss I have so many things going on, and I can't be committed to church because I have so much on my plate. Uh, others of us, to be honest, we just say, I, I, I'm just, it's just not a priority. I have things that I want to do, and church doesn't fit into that. Or, or I have, I have my, my other things going on, but, but committing to church, like, it's maybe number three or four down the list. Some of us, here have been hurt by others in the church, and so our dating of the church is based off of the fact that I like to hold it at arm's length and say, I've been down that road before, but I'm going to hold back because I don't want to be hurt again. I'm going to hold back. I'm just going to date. I'm going to stay far from the church and not and just be acquainted with it, but I'm not willing to commit because it, the likelihood is they're going to hurt me again. And that's true. That's real. But I don't think it's what God would want from us. Finally, I think that there's others of us, many of us, who are anxious about really committing to what I think is biblical membership, caring and getting to know each other and, and caring and praying and, and walking in life with God together because we're anxious to know that I have garbage in my life. If I just stay on the edge, if I just stand back and, and, and just date the church, I don't really have to share what's going on. And the fact that I, my marriage is messed up, the fact that my kids are, are, are not walking with the Lord, or the fact that I have this recurring sin issue in my life, I'm anxious. I don't want to be committed to the church because someone might get to know me and those problems that I just don't want to share. So are you dating the church or are you married to the church? Are you dated, dating, or are you willing to commit? I think for some of us, we need to have what we called in, in my college days when you were kind of hanging out with a friend and, and, and uh, just you, you maybe were kind of dating, but you didn't want to call it that. And they had this term called a DTR. Anyone? No? Define the relationship. You need to set and say, what is this? What is my relationship with this, with this person? Or here is saying, what is my relationship with the church? Am I in or am I out? say, seriously, am I just dating, or am I willing to commit and move forward from just being acquainted with the church? For some of us, we need to do that and listen to the Spirit and what He's saying on that. What's beautiful about this is when we do commit, or when we do see what, what Paul is talking about in this church, I think he, we hear him say, you also are being built together into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. When we are willing to commit, what happens is we are being put part of a local church where we are being built up in God for something. There are great benefits to committing. 
and just wants that to lean. And so I say, there's a commitment to my wife. But there's, there's work involved. There's things where, where i got to share. But at the same time, we know for marriage, there are great benefits to that as well. Right? The same way as with the church. Which moves to the last point, the third point that I have here. Members have moved from consumer to contributor. And these kind of dovetail together that last point in this point. Members have moved from consumer to contributor. Look with me at verses four, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. This is where Paul starts getting into what we should be doing, how we should be living. He says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What calling? The calling of being part of the church, being part of God's family. Walk worthy of that. The calling which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? That, but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. But he who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that we, he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the sons of God, to mature manhood, the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking in truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined together is held together by every joint with which it is equipped for every part is working properly and makes the body grow that it builds itself up in love. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the body being unified, and there's a lot going on here, but I want to just take out a couple things. It, it, he talks about this idea of gifts, that we have been given gifts, and he doesn't give out what the spiritual gifts are here, but what we do see in verses 7 is, by grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, when he ascended on high and led his captives, he gave gifts to men. He's talking about the fact of why have you been called into God's church? What's the purpose? What's the plan? What's the reason that God has done this action? Because it wasn't your action. It was God's action that brought you into this church or that brought you into his faith family. What, what is it that he's saying? He's saying when Jesus ascended, when he went on high, when he, when he went from the death and ascended to heaven, it says he took captives. This verse can be a little confusing, and we've got to go back into some of the older passages where, where this goes all the way back to the Old Testament where it talks about when Israel was, was conquering the land, they took captives 
And those captives were used for the benefit of the people. They were used to benefit and build up the people of God. In the same way, what it's talking about here is Jesus, Paul kind of twists this verse for his use here to say, when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended on high, he led captives, us that are in bondage to our slavery, to our sin. He he brings us out. Why? So he can give us as gifts to the church is what he's trying to go after. He's suggesting that the reason that God brought you out of slavery is not so you can just have a good life and say, yay, God, obviously worshiping is part of this. But part of why he brought us out is so that we could contribute to the church to build up his kingdom, to be part of his family, encouraging each other, walking with each other, building up of the body. And the point is that sometimes we often come and we just consume. God has given us a gift of life. He's given us spiritual gifts that we we have, and, and he wants us to use that. But instead, we just come to church and we consume. We take in. We take, 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 take. And we don't give back. We don't contribute to the body. There are many of us here who I think have spiritual gifts, and many of us probably haven't even thought about that. What are my spiritual gifts? And we're growing in the Lord and growing and growing and growing, but we never say, God, what is the gift that you have for me to encourage? You might have that gift of encouragement. You might have the gift of prayer. You might have other gifts that God wants you to use here, but if you're not in, if you're kind of on the fringe, you're not going to use it, and all you are doing is consuming taking, but not giving what God wants for the purpose of making his bride look good. For the fact that when we have, as it says here, doctrines and things that are trying to push us to and fro and toss us like the waves on the sea and and move us away from God, what he's saying is the church is here to anchor us, and we are here to anchor each other in the doctrines of the gospel, and that's what we're going to look at in the the next couple weeks as well. So we've looked at a member has moved from death to life. A member has moved from uh, from acquainted with to committed to, and a member is moving from has moved from consumer to contributor. This morning, I want us to be thinking about how what does that do for me? What do I need to do in regards to just saying I want to be a part of your church, not just your big universal church, but part of a local group. Jonathan Lehman, in his book, uh, eight or uh, church membership gives eight ways to commit, and I'm going to have those come up on the board here on the screen as I walk through them. Growing as a committed member, what what are some things? And and some of you these may hit well, some of you they might not, but I, I think they might be helpful to just think about. These aren't. Sometimes we think about membership or committing as being like I just got to be, I just got to give or attend, but I think these are some more things here. First, he says, commit publicly. This would be just through going and saying, I want to be a member. I want to be in partnership with the church. This is actively saying, I want to be part of the church. Committing publicly and declaring, I want to be part of it. Second, he he talks about committing physically. Committing physically, which is the idea of of being present. For some of us, we, we kind of might not realize that when we're here, that's great, but when we're not here, it actually commits more 
or communicates more than when we are here. And when we miss and, and prioritize other things, it communicates that, hey, I'm not really committed. And I know that we have family and other things going on, and I know that the world is busy, and, and, and I, I'm not trying to judge that, but I just want to say that some of us need to commit more physically to being here and being present. Three, commit socially. We all have a lot of friends. We have a lot of activities, but I would encourage us to say, how am I committing to being part of this group, uh, part of the people that are here and saying, I want my, the friends that I have, I want them to be my church family, even the ones I don't like that well. I want to hang out with them because I want to get to know them so I can like them. I, I want to I hang out and, and get to know them so I can know their story and pray for them. I, I want to do meals with them. I want to, like we did the other night, I want to watch, uh, watch the Olympic opening ceremonies with them and just share time and memories with them. Some of us need to do that more. Four, commit affectionately. Some of us, and guys may not like this, but there's the deal, is we need to commit to being uh, sharing what's going on and, and, and taking it real. When, Jesus said, when, when we hear the Scripture say, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice, we need to take that seriously and say, how am I growing in knowing their story? And when one person is high or low, how am I joining with them in that? When I am, see someone married in our church, and I might be the single person who's frustrated with that, how do I still look past myself and still find joy with them in that? Or when someone's day is going rotten, how do I not, how do I come with them and say, that, that grieves me that this week or this day is going bad for someone? Number five, commit financially. Some of us, we need to say when the offering passed, the plate is passed, or when when I am see it go by, am I giving? And that's not just to up our budget. What that means is when I think when we sit there and say, Oh, I need to commit to the church, but I don't want to give, we should also hear Jesus' words that say, Where your money is, there your heart will be also. For some of us, when we, when we hold back or when we give to other places or we're, we're not willing to share with the church and give to the church and contribute, what we're doing is, is we're pulling our hearts away from the church and living at a distance. So if you're finding it hard to commit, I would say, have you been giving? Is this where your heart is? Number six, commit vocationally. And this is probably less of an issue for us, but I think it, it's something to consider. We could also probably say locationally, uh, committing to the church. If you're in a city and suddenly you get this job offer in another city and you say, well, I, I, that's a really attractive offer. Do we just go after the job or do we say, wait, this job offer that's over there, that's going to remove me from my church family who I love and I'm committed to. Uh, do we make our job choices, our living choices, our things, based on, hey, my family, my church family, the people who care for me are here. Maybe that should come into play in how I decide those things. Number seven is to commit ethically. Are we encouraging each other in right works, right deeds, right actions? Are we, are we thinking about our own actions and how we live life? and encouraging each other to walk properly in the Lord? Are we committed to saying, I want to walk 
Uh, I want to live above reproach. I want to be walking away from sin, and I want to do that to my, to my brother. I want to do that to my sister where I'm encouraging them and encouraging them to live life and praying for them when they're stumbling. When we see uh, something on, on Facebook or something like that, and we see someone from our own church family, and they're, and they're just kind of digging into someone politically, or they're, they're griping about their day, or they're just going off on something, are we willing to commit and say, hey, you're from my church family. Is that how we should live? Or are we willing to call them out? Finally, number eight, commit spiritually. And again, these are the things that we'll probably look at in the next weeks as far as being in the Bible together, praying together, walking with each other, and why those things are important. Committing spiritually is to say, I want to pray for you. I want to walk with you. I want to encourage you in God's word. Some of us need to commit to growing in that area. These eight commitments that you see, there might be one that rings true up there. Listen to the Spirit. What is he saying to you with that? Maybe there's many of them. But I think God wants us to be part of a church family. That's clear. And I want us to take that seriously and say, God, what do you have for me? What does it look for me to participate and grow in what you have going on here? Or what does God have going on in other churches as well? But what, what have you called me to be here for? What steps do I need to take to grow in? So this morning as we think about that, it might be that you need to move from death to life. You may need to move from being on the fringe to being committed. You might need to move from consuming to being a contributor. But whatever it is, I ask that you listen to what God has for you. With that, let's pray and ask that he answer. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us your bride. You came to this earth to redeem not just us as individuals, but us as a community of believers. To walk together in life, to sharpen each other, you paid a heavy price for that. Father, you, Jesus, you love your church. And Spirit, you say that you're going to be here to help your church. And I ask that as us being part of your people that we can Listen to you. Repent of ways that we've been holding ourselves back. And listen to you. Father, there's a great joy in what you've done. And the fact that we get to be partnered not just with the universal church, 2,000 years of what you have going on. But we get to be part of a family here, even in our own town, that walks with us, cares for us, Jesus, we thank you in your name for your sacrifice for us. We worship you this day.